Ian I'm now delighted to be joined by darts referee and caller Anthony the Pup Dundas. How are you, Anthony? Very well, thank you, Andrew. How are you? Not too bad, thank you, mate. It's it's been a difficult year with the the coronavirus. How's that affected you personally? It's been, as I'm sure it has been for a lot of people, it's been really, really tough the first few months, especially uh, just getting used to things as they became and the being unhappy at work and stuff. Just that everything kind of added up, and it, it took a it took a bit of a toll on the mental health. But thankfully, it looks like we're we're getting through it, we're hopefully coming to the end of it and the, the future's looking a, a little bit brighter than it was. Mm, certainly. So for you, would you say that the first lockdown we had was harder than the one we've currently in now? Yeah, absolutely was. Um, the first lockdown, I, I found it really, really tough. Just I, I was cutting down my work shifts. They, basically, everybody was doing like, maybe 40% of the work they were doing before and you know, it was just, it was a, a horrible existence, really. Just all we were doing was going to work, coming home, and that was it. The only time you really saw people was if you were doing Zoom calls or what have you. So, yeah, I found the first one a lot harder than this one. Just over a year ago, we had the last World Darts Federation ranking event over in the Isle of Man, and you were over there. Am I right in thinking that you had COVID while you were there? No, they Thankfully, I've been pretty much COVID-free. Um, I've not had any, any tests or anything. I've not had any symptoms. I think I'm one of the very, very lucky ones that's so far avoided it. Uh, I think if I, I wasn't well around about Christmas time. I had a really, really bad cough that was there for about six weeks. But uh, I, I never got anything diagnosed or anything, so hopefully it wasn't COVID. But uh, yeah, so far, I've, I've managed to avoid it. But in hindsight, how weird was that whole weekend in the Isle of Man, given that a week later we were all in a national lockdown? I think, looking back now, it was bizarre, because we knew things were going to change, we knew something was coming. I don't think anybody expected us to be sitting here a year later and still be in the situation we're in, but I think we, we kind of knew back then that it was going to be the last one for a while. But we thought maybe oh, we'll miss a few tournaments, but... Hopefully we should be back for the Welsh Open in May and lo and behold it's the following May and the Welsh Open's still not on the calendar. So yeah, it's been it's been weird looking back at the, the Isle of Man because it was a fantastic weekend as it always is in the Isle of Man. But if, if I think if we'd known back then what we were in for, it could have been different. And recently you've been on a proper fitness kick, loads of long walks and stuff. Was that spurred on by the, the pandemic? Well, uh, I've been furloughed. I started a new job in August and I've been furloughed since October. Mm. And be- from October till about January, I was sitting on my backside doing absolutely nothing. And it just got to the stage where I, f- that I looked at myself in the middle and went, do you know what? I- I've never been slim by any stretch of the imagination, but I took one look at myself and went, right, I need to get my backside in gear and start doing something. So I'd been out a walk with one of my friends and I thought, this is good, I'm, I'm going to keep at this. And ended up going out for most days in February, just trying to better myself and see how far I could push myself. I ended up walking just over 120 miles in February and I'm closing in on 100 for March. So 
yes, it's just there was something that I had to do. I had to make a change, and I feel so much better for it because it's not only improving my health; it's improving my mental health as well. And where would you say your mental health is now compared to say where it was a year ago? It's I'm in a totally different place now. To be honest, I'm feeling a lot more positive. I've started a new job which I love. I'm going out. I'm walking. I'm seeing friends now, albeit from a distance, but. You know, I'm just I'm loving being out and just seeing bits of Glasgow that I haven't seen for a long time. And I'm building up, I'm doing a charity walk at the end of April, so I'm building up for that. I'd say a 17-mile walk around the football stadiums of Glasgow, um, doing it for the Kilbride Hospice, which is a, a fantastic walk. We do that up in East Kilbride near Glasgow that take care of people like going through palliative care at the end of their life, like cancer sufferers, etc., and I've raised seven hundred and ten pounds for them so far. So hopefully we can we can get that number up as well. And I'm building myself up to trying the seventeen mile walk, but it's it's tough. But I'm I'm loving every minute of it. Fantastic. And on the the fitness side of it, is there an end goal you've got in mind in terms of weight loss or, or whatever? It's just to generally improve my fitness. There's a heart condition front in the family. And I've got a, something called Wolf Parkinson White Syndrome. Mm. So I kind of have to take care and carrying the weight that I have been carrying. It's not doing me any favours. So as long as I can maybe lose a couple of stone and just get myself down to a reasonable weight and maintain it, then I'll be happy. It's not about vanity or anything like that. It's just trying to improve my, my health more than anything. Now on to a, a happier topic. When did you first get exposed to, to darts? Uh, when I was a kid, really. My dad was uh, a really good darts player when he was in his youth. Uh, he, he never really took it seriously as such, but he always told me stories of teams he had played for and against players he'd played against. Um, and there was always a dartboard in the house, so that kind of gave me the bug at the start. And I, I didn't start playing myself until I was 18. But uh, just once I started playing, I caught the bug for it. And the stories my dad told me of playing against a, a guy called Alistair Forrester, who was a Scotland player. He was on a bullseye as well. was a fantastic guy. He used to tell me stories of playing against him. And I would just shrug them off like, yeah, dad, no problem, that's fine. And on, on one occasion, I bumped into Alistair Forrester, first time I'd ever met him. I said, oh, I think you're, you, you know my father. Told him who he was, and he was like, oh my God, what a daft player he was. Told me the exact same stories. So, I'm, I'm sorry for doubting you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just, it was him that got me into it, and we started playing in the, the Rutherglen Darts League together, broad 2004, late 2004, and I just, I caught the bug from it, and I've never looked back. Hmm. So how did you then get into the calling side only a couple of years later? Well, I started playing counties for Renfrewshire, and Scottish counties is a little bit different to the English because we don't have a, a, an MC as such. Everybody just takes shots each at calling games. So if, you, if you're on last, you'll maybe call the first game and so on. Uh, so I started helping out at Renfrewshire and then I moved to East Renfrewshire, which is now Greater Glasgow, who I'm still playing for. And I just found that I was quite handy with the numbers. I, I quite enjoyed it. And I just went from there. I went to a tournament in Alloa, it was the, the Fourth Valley Masters, which was a continuation of a tournament I had won the under-21s at the year before. I was too old to defend my title, so I decided to help, and I ended up refereeing the final. 
and it, it was a different kind of pressure, but it was something I, I really enjoyed and decided that, you know, maybe I could make a, a career out of this, if you like, and within a few years, I was refereeing other tournaments here and there, doing more at counties, and then the, the, the big guns came calling, if you like. And in terms of the playing... You, I know one of your goals was to, to get on the BDO rankings and you managed that in 2018 with a run to the last 32 at the Isle of Man Classic. Indeed, yeah. I'd waited a long time to get my name on that ranking list. Uh, the, the closest I'd been before, it was the Welsh Masters, I think it was maybe 2009-2010 and I got to the last 32 of that and was probably trounced by Daryl Finn <laughs> and... I went to the control desk and I said, do I get ranking points for this? And someone told me, yeah, you do. Only to find out that no, there wasn't enough entries and the points were starting at the last 16. So I always felt a little bit cheated out of points from then. But that, that run at the, the Isle of Man Classic, that was ridiculous. It was totally unexpected because I had been playing that well and all of a sudden it just came from nowhere. And yeah, the, the run was ended by Glenn Durren, the, the last 32, but... It's, it's a run I'll, I'll always remember because it could be the only time I win ranking points but I got my name in that list and that means a lot to me. And were there any fears when you when you played that game? Did you know you definitely got the points that time? Yeah, I think someone had said, yeah, you're in the last 32 now and points, and I think it was maybe Rap Butler himself that said, yeah, you're definitely in the points, you've won prize money. I was like, oh, happy days. Who do I play next? <laughs> oh, God, here we go. And... I played okay against Glenn, had a 180 against him, but I just had absolutely no consistency and no answers to the, the wonderful player that Glenn Durant is, you know, it's, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to struggle against Glenn. Uh, it was a fitting end, I think, because I bowed out to the, the, as he was then, the world champ, and I think he, got, he went on to reach the final of that event, so yeah, no complaints. So going back to the the calling, how did the leap from doing the county to starting working for the BDO in 2012, how did that leap come about? Well, uh, I think it was Ross Montgomery really had uh, a good bit to do with it. He was behind the scenes having a a few words in certain people's ears, just have a look at this guy, He's, he's good at what he does. And... I was at the Lakeside in 2012 as a journalist, believe it or not, uh, for the, the now defunct BDO forums. Uh, a friend of mine, John Leatherbarrow, who ran the, the forum, had said to me, fancy going down, interview a few players? I thought, yeah, yeah. So he had got his accreditation to get into the press room. And we went down, done a few interviews, and uh, Gary Stone had qualified. It was the first year Gary had qualified. And I remember being in one of the, the side rooms in the Lakeside International Hotel playing pool. And uh, I think it was Colin McClements, Scottish official, came into the pool room and was like, Anthony, could we have a word with you? And I walked out into the another room and it was like walking into the headmaster's room. The full Scottish committee was lined up, five of them just sitting looking at me. I'm sitting across them and I was like, what have I done? What's, what's happening? <laughs> I said, no, we just want to ask you if you would like to referee the Scottish Open this year. I was like, oh, absolutely. I think the, the language I used was slightly more colourful than that, but I jumped at the opportunity and... Then after that, it just snowballed. I done the, the Scottish Open in the February. Got the, a phone call from Mark Fitzmaurice, I think it was maybe the May or the June, asking me if I was going to the British Open in Bridlington. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going. He went, bring a suit, we're going to get you doing some refereeing. So, oh, fantastic, that's excellent. 
then it went from there and I got the call to do the World Masters. I think Nick couldn't make it to the World Masters that year for, for whatever reason, worker, whatever it was. And yeah, they asked me if I would like to, to go. And, yeah, absolutely. And then I found myself at Lakeside in 2013. So it was, it was a, a meteoric rise, if you like, but uh, absolutely phenomenal. I know when I spoke to, to Nick Rolls, you know, a while ago, he was saying he had to do like an interview, in a sense, like a practice game before he got, you know, appointed to do the world. Did you have to do something like that or was it more just the Scottish Open was like the audition for you? I think the Scottish Open was something like an audition. I think, obviously, some members of the, the Scottish Stars Association were involved in the, the BDO as well. So, I think, they reported back to, to Martin and just said, yeah, he's good, give him a try. And that's when he phoned and asked if I wanted to do the, the, the British Open. And uh, I've never been too nervous in my whole entire life, I don't mind telling you. But uh, yeah, I think it, it probably the British Open was more of an audition just to see if I could handle a slightly bigger stage than the Scottish. And thankfully, I, I seem to impress. Would you say you were more nervous then for the British Open than for when you made your Lakeside debut in 2013? It was a totally different kind of nervousness at Lakeside. Uh, obviously, it was my first time on a big stage. I'd been going to the Bridlington Spa for years as a player and watching these guys on the big stage and the Bridlington Spa and think, God, I'd love to be up there one day. At the time, thinking I would be up there as a player, never thinking I'd be as a ref, but... Being on the Lakeside stage was completely different just with the TV cameras and the thousands and thousands of people. It was mad. It was just, it was, I had to pinch myself. Just, yeah, you're definitely here. So, but oh, wow, it was amazing. When you made that debut at the Lakeside, what are your memories of the first game that you did? First game I'd done was Gary Robson and Gary Thompson. And it will always be remembered for a, a slight mess up with the scoreboard <laughs> uh, our score wasn't inputted and I hadn't noticed which was my first mistake and uh, ended up we had to stop the game to get it all sorted Martin Fitzmaurice stormed the stage and eventually we got it sorted and Gary Robson went, ended up going on to lose that match and at the time I felt really sorry for Gary because if something going to go wrong on the big stage it will happen to Robbo <laughs> if you like everything went well after that but yes I think I'll always, I'll always remember that very first game for the complete and utter hell that it was <laughs> <laughs> and to you obviously you were there for a number of years as referee what made the Lakeside so special? It's just it's the, the home of darts the home of world darts I should say it was a room that has so much history and prestige and even if I was to walk into the Lakeside Country Club right now, I would still have the same reaction. I'd still have, you know, a tingle up my spine. My hairs would be standing on end, goosebumps a lot. It's just a room with no other in darts. I mean, I've never been to the Alley Pally, and I would love to go, but I don't think it would have the same feeling as walking into Lakeside. It would be amazing, don't get me wrong, but there's no feeling like walking into Lakeside, knowing the amount of history that's happened on that stage. Mm-hmm. You've done a number of, you know, the World Championship Finals. You've done the World Youth Final. What would you say was the the favourite game you've officiated on in the BDO system? 
favourite games I've officiated on, well, there's a few. For years and years, I always said that my favourite game I ever refereed was the semi-final between Jan Decker and Alan Norris, because it went to the tie-break at the end of the 11th set. Recently, the, the final leg sides I've done, um, Richard Veenstra and Nigel Hayden in the first round. Mm. Again, that went to the sudden death final leg in the last set. That was another phenomenal match. It was two contrasting styles of throw. You've got Richard, who is quite fast. Nigel's very deliberate. But it was just a pleasure to be there, just involved in a, a game, because I hadn't really done many matches that had gone to a tie-break. Uh, apart from that, the, the other game that really sticks in my mind was uh, 2015, Scott Waits against Ross Montgomery in the second round. Because Ross had a bull finish. I, I think his first start, it had... He was either the 25, it was just outside, and he totally blocked the bull. And I think he was standing somewhere near Birmingham when he threw it, and <laughs> somehow managed to hit the bull. Just because I've been friends with Ross for a lot of years, and it was him that got me started really going to tournaments. It's, it's something that sticks in my mind, because it was like, it was kind of a surprised game shot. I was like, game shot, and how the hell did you hit that? It was just, it was the, the best bull finish I think I've ever seen. And you get a different perspective as well as a referee. Have there ever been any players who've thrown you with the way they try and check out things or the way they score? Yes. <laughs> yes, the, the simple answer to that. Another One that sticks in my mind was refereeing for Richie George. And he had 121 left. So I'm like, Richie, you require 121. And I'm looking the treble 20 dead in the eye. And I heard, the first start I had the board. And I'm like, where the hell did that go? And it was in treble 14. <laughs> and before before I could even count what treble 14 was, he'd thrown a second and hit treble 13. So I'm like, right, Tops left, I hope. And I'm looking at Tops and he just missed it. Between him and uh, the likes of Jeff Smith, who loves going for a 17 every now and then, uh, Jeffrey DeGraff was the same. But there has been a few that you're kind of thinking, oh God, what are they going to do next? But you, you kind of get used to them after a while and you... You realise that they could go awkward ways, but once you're 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 game to their game, if you like, you you get used to it and you can figure them out. And what would you say is the the best walk on song or the best walk on you've experienced while you were at the Lakeside? The best walk on song, and all the time I was at Lakeside was probably Jan Decker's, because I don't know why, but it's just a really really good. It's just a song that I really, really like, and it, it kind of got the whole place up and like da 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 da, and the whole place would go mad. But walk-ons themselves, I think, the best without a shadow of a doubt has to be Ted. Mm. Seeing Ted Hanky walk on at Lakeside is just an experience like no other. I was lucky enough he qualified my last year at Lakeside, and I was one of those ones that usually we'll sit in the referee's room if we're not refereeing. We'll just chill, but it was one of those ones we were all out watching that walk on, just because it was so iconic. Hmm. Yeah, I thought you might have said for walk on song Mark McGinnies because I know, like me, you're a bit of a wrestling fan. Well, as, as good as that is, you know, Mark was my first partner for a good while, so I, I think that might be favouritism. <laughs> <laughs> But obviously, the years you were there, you were part of you know what became known as as Team Ref, and you guys are all super close with each other. What did that mean going into the tournament, having those guys around you to to lean on, bounce off during the tournament? 
you know what, it's, we're all brothers, it's like a brotherhood. We are, as you say, really, really close. Love every single one of them. I mean, even Hugh, when he was part of Team Death, we still keep in touch, but Hugh, we love him as well. But it's good to know that when you come off a stage, if you've had a couple of mistakes or whatever, you're not going into criticism, you're not going into somebody berating you for making a mistake. Those guys have got your back. You can walk off stage, you can be angry that you've shouted 92 instead of 93 or whatever, and you'll pat that on the shoulder and say, it's fine, don't worry about it. It's just, and they, they give you the, the, the kind of push you need to get your confidence back. And as well as if you come off the stage having been had a perfect game, you've not made any mistakes, no hesitations, nothing, they'll be the first guys that will pat you in the back and say, that was brilliant, well done. We just were there for each other and anything that crops up, we deal with it together because that's what brothers do. The last BDO World you did was in 2019. Did you know when you did that tournament that it was probably going to be the last one you did? At the time, not really. I was quite happy to carry on, but just over the, the coming months after that, and we saw things were changing, and we weren't really going in the direction we wanted them to go. And we all made our own decisions independently of everybody else. So at the time, I think there was maybe a feeling that something could happen, but we weren't really looking that much in front. I don't think we were just wanting to see what the next tournament would be and how it would go. And obviously when we did find out it would be the last one, like when we all decided, it, it took a while to hit home, to be honest. And it must have been strange watching the, the 2021. Not only was it not at the lakeside, but also it was a whole new refing team as well. Yeah, it was. I suppose it was strange watching, but it was just good that there was a world championship being played. Obviously, we can, we can say what we like about the, the circumstances and what have you, but they put on a good tournament. And, you know, it was fantastic to see Wayne winning the world championship. He's another guy that I've known for a long, long time, and he's, he's a good guy, weighing up a lot of time for him. So to see him winning that World Championship, it was fantastic to see. And as, as far as the refereeing team that was there, it, it was strange watching, knowing that it wasn't us, but they've done, they done a fantastic job between them. We mentioned the Isle of Man already, but 2020 actually did start quite well for you, because you were the MC at the, the Celtic Challenge... And you got to host the, the Dutch Open as well. They must have both been great honours for you. Oh, the, the Celtic Challenge. I've done a couple of Celtic Challenges and uh, emceed the Six Nations as well in the past. So that it was obviously an honour, as it always is, to emcee these events. But getting the call to do the Dutch Open was absolutely incredible. I mean, the, the Dutch Open's the biggest darts tournament in the world by size. There's thousands upon thousands of people. And having been at the Dutch Open as a punter before, seeing what it's like and knowing I was going to be on that stage in front of a couple of thousand, it was, it was again, a different pressure. But I absolutely loved every second of it, the two years I've done. On, back on the playing side of things, you were recently involved with one of the WDF Challenge weekends. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, certainly. I've been playing a, a lot of stuff on Dark Connect recently. We, we've got... A, an international lobby that we play in, and it's like myself, Ross Montgomery, Ryan Hogarth, Jim McEwen, Alan Souter plays in it on a 
now that he's a, a tour card holder, he might think he's not he's too good for us now. But <laughs> <laughs> Martin Adams plays in it. Sean McDonald, who was at Q School. Uh, then you've got guys like Scott Campbell, uh, Justin Thirdly, who lives in Denmark, was originally from England, but lives in Denmark now. Uh, the Scottish youth, Sophie McKinley, Chloe O'Brien, uh, a few guys from Aberdeen, like Mike Mulday, Mike Murray, and my pal David Curran. And we all go on and we all play against each other. Ross usually does a wee vote for us, so we, we, I kind of knew what to expect when I done the challenge weekend. But it was just nice to play against people from here, there and everywhere. It, was, it felt like I played half of the population of Canada when I was on. <laughs> it, was, it seemed like every second person I played was Canadian. And they were all really friendly. And it was just it was really, really nice to play against them. I, I, I think I lost more than I won. But it was just it was, it was a, nice, a nice couple of, couple of nights to have. Well, I mean, it's good to hear you're enjoying it. Because I know you've had issues in the past with Dartitis. You say you've struggled with it for a while. Is there anything you can pinpoint as to, to where it initially started? I, I could tell you the exact what exactly what I was doing the first time that happened to me. I was playing a, a legend exhibition in Iowa, and I was playing against Bobby George and Little Richard was the MC. And I'd been on. I was practicing with Bob Anderson, and everything was going really well. Went on at the stage, threw my practice stops, then there's Anthony to throw first, game on, and I could not let my darts go. The first dart I tried to throw, it took me about four attempts before I finally got it in the boat. And my first score was 21. And Bobby went up behind me, threw one dart, hit treble seven, scored 21, took his dart out of the boat. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Laughing stock. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just after that, it's just something that's stuck in my head. and. I get through it and then it comes back, then I get through it again. And it's the most frustrating thing in the whole entire world. Mm, yeah. I mean, I'm just not very good, so I haven't had any issues with it so far. But I know, speaking to players, it can be incredibly debilitating. Yeah, just it's one of those things where you get more and more frustrated the worse it gets. And that makes it even worse again. Mm. There was a time I was trying to let my darts go and my trailing hand was nearly hitting the floor. I was that bent over trying to let it go because my whole body was just contorting in ways that it really shouldn't. Hmm. It's, uh, but people say that there's different methods they use to try and get rid of it and some of them do work, some of them don't. But it's, it's in your head. It's just trying to find something that can help you get away from it and then working on it that way. But it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Your nickname is The Pup. What's the story there? That came from my first ever Monday night team, which was the Royale and the Brother just south of Glasgow. 
one of, I, I think I'd won my first game for the team and one of the elder statesmen of the team just turned round and he shook my hand and just told me, listen son, don't you be getting ideas above your station, you're still just a pup. And it stuck. And people just kept calling me pup after that. So I thought when I first started doing the, the circuit and stuff, I went, Do you know what, I'm going to get that in a shirt. I like that. So I was the pup then and I'm still the pup. I'm quite an old pup now, but I, it's, it's stuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And as, as you know, me and you were talking about before we started recording, hopefully we're coming towards the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel or whatever expression you want to use for this pandemic. Yeah. And hopefully we're going to have some live events soon. What have you missed the most about in-person competition and being at events? I've not even missed playing that much. Obviously, it's been weird not going to these tournaments and like having a throw and losing in the first round and everything, but I just miss my mates. I just miss going to these tournaments, seeing my friends that I don't see except at darts tournaments and just, you know, like going to tournaments like the Welsh Open, which none of, the, none of us referees usually work out with the team deaf guys. But we just go there for a holiday week just to you know, unwind and have a bit of fun. It's, it's the camaraderie and the, the friendship I miss more than anything else. Well, I know you'll be looking forward to the, the British Open later in the year as well because Nick Rolls tells me you're a dab hand on the karaoke. It has been known. I've been known to you know, strut my stuff on the karaoke every now and then. <laughs> yeah, we usually go into the, the South Bluff across from the spa for a little sing-song every night. <laughs> Good fun is had by all. I'm, I'm missing that too. That's what he said. Well, thank you very much for your time this afternoon, Anthony. You've now completed the, the lineup of Team Ref on the podcast. Well, aside from you, but hopefully we're able to get back to live darts soon, and we can hear your distinctive calls, and and you know you can enjoy the darts as well. Oh, I certainly hope so, Andrew. I certainly hope so. Thank you very much, mate.